Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon Speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay, girl. Sawate. I am your host, Stella. I'm Kimberly Rockmore, your Watchtower News Desk correspondent, and this is Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, Episode 12, for September MMX. Episode 12 is brought to you by Yephalactic. Yephalactic prevents the spread of unwanted diseases like Yephalus. Being a furry is a full-time job from morning to night. It pays to be responsible when the sun goes down. Yephalactic provides you with freedom and safety. In these tough economic times, it is important to prevent unwanted furry conception, which may lead to an overflow of furry orphanages or homeless furries on the streets begging for money. Yephalactic would like to remind you that when you yif, yif safely. Bedgirl to Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are November's Batgirl number 15 and Birds of Prey number 6, both for $2.69. So, if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. So right now I'm sitting here. It's 11.06 at night. I've kind of finished the schoolwork that I had to do, graded papers and such like that, and I just thought, why not? You know, I look around, darkness uh, pervades the room, why not just record episode 12 right now? So, I'm actually very happy that I am able to get episode out in September. I would be, I would have been very disappointed in myself had I not, and I would have felt that I would have disappointed Babs and uh, my listeners, my fans, my friends out there. So here I am. I did have to, uh, um, I don't know if my voice sounds weird. I guess I'll find out when I edit. But um, allergies, they're just really bad right now. And so I had to pop a, uh, a Benadryl. So hopefully I don't conk out in the middle of this episode. But anyways, 
So as I mentioned last time, um, you know, I have a teaching job, so it, it's going well. It's a bit rocky here and there. I don't want to bore you with, you know, everything, so I won't really mention a lot. I think the highlight of it was uh, I graded some papers on the Aeneid today, the Aeneid Book 1, um, a reaction paper. They have to read it in English. And so they read Book 1, and, the, and I asked them for a paper here. And so one of them was actually talking about... Um, is Aeneas a textbook hero? That was one of the, the paper prompts that I asked them uh, to decide upon. And one of the people, uh, one of the students, I guess I should say, he he started saying something about Superman and Spider-Man. And it's kind of funny because I have a Superman poster in my room. No, I'm not the greatest Superman fan. This will make Michael Bailey happy. But I sort of put it up there. Uh, that's a little bit of me, you know, I enjoy comics, and then, of course, just in power, uh, because these students are AP students, so they'll be taking the AP May 5th, and so to empower them, give them the confidence that they need to pass the AP exam, who knows if they think that's an idiotic idea or not, but I enjoy looking at that instead of blank wall space. But anyway, so someone actually referenced Superman and Spider-Man and said uh, Aeneas is like these two. He's like Superman and Spider-Man. And they actually spelled Spider-Man incorrectly. It was Spider-Man all in words, lowercase m. So I had to cross that out and change it. And, you know, that both of these guys, they work alone. And I said, no, what about the GLA? What about the Avengers? And then in the comment section below, I actually put, uh, try to avoid pop culture uh, references, which is true in a paper that's probably not going to work at all, especially on the AP. I don't think they would find that amusing. And then, of course, I said, uh, and you didn't use an entirely correct example. So I just thought that was funny that I was correcting somebody on a um, a reference to superheroes. So that's my little fun thing for the day. But teaching is difficult. Uh, on the crawl space, I, I just urged students to really respect what teachers do because you just have no idea until you become a teacher the amount of work that goes through. And uh, every little thing that you know a student says really really does dig at you. So there are some good times and there are certainly a lot of bad times. I was hired seven days before school started so it was rocky to say the least but here I am and I'm very happy like I said before to get an episode out for September and I did not uh, I guess ask for questions because I just knew I just did not have enough time for that so I apologize. Hopefully Next month, I'll be able to get questions in or just when I get into a reasonable um, rhythm with everything that's going on. But I did, you know, I, I felt really bad I neglected to to shout out to Steve J. Rogers, who actually provided me with the Denny O'Neill tag at the beginning of episode 11. That meant so much. He, he asked me, he went to San Diego Comic-Con, he said, uh, Stella, do you want anybody to give a little tag? And Denny O'Neill was there. And it was funny because Denny O'Neill had written the issue that I had just reviewed that very episode. So it was very uh, felicitous. But thank you so much to Steve J. Rogers. I also forgot to mention, and all the confusion that was going on, the fact that I am now on Twitter. <laughs> yes, and I blame this on my friend Zias because he said, you know, I'm on Twitter. It took me a long time, but... Um, I finally decided to give in. And so Twitter was the one thing that I just never got into. I guess that in my space. But after I had recorded the episode with Brian Q. Miller, Brian Q. Miller is actually on Twitter as well. And he wanted to know what my Twitter address was so he could sort of pimp the episode that way. So 
because that happened, I had to sign up really fast and then give them my handle. And so now I'm on Twitter. I don't go on very often, but um, little by little, you know, I post some tweets and everything. So don't have too much time to go on there now. But anyways, you can follow me on Twitter. And there are some people who, who noticed that I did um, post in my blog, in my uh, quote-unquote website that I was on Twitter. So I do have some followers. But you can follow me at Batgirl to Oracle. So I hope I see you on Twitter. Another thing I want to discuss before we jump over to Kimberly at the news desk, on the crawl space, at least three people asked me about Barbara Gordon and Peter Parker getting together. And I don't know where this was coming from, but, you know, three people uh, asked me, and I think I answered three different ways maybe, but sort of in the same way, but I was never really eloquent about it. And so I just wanted to sit down here and tell you what I really think about this. Okay, so Barbara Gordon and Peter Parker. You know, no matter the, 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 the publishing company, somehow the universe is merged, would they get together? Okay, obviously they are both smart. And I think we determined from Batgirl Year One that Barbara is super freaky genius. Uh, because I remember she was calculating in her head as she was falling down the trajectory would she land in the YMCA pool at the roof or not um and that was yeah super freaky genius okay and then Peter Parker I mean I don't know if he's super freaky like Mr. Fantastic but certainly he has the brains to do what he needs to do and I think that sometimes when two really smart people get together that they butt heads I think um and it's strange but I think that it sometimes works that someone is um, of a lower intelligent uh, intelligence tier than another person, and I think there was an episode. Oh, it was it was a uh, Family Guy, and Brian was dating Lauren Conrad, and Lauren was much more intelligent than Brian, and I think that made him feel uncomfortable because he liked to date this other girl because she was less intelligent than he was. So I guess you just feel power over this. So I think when two are of the same and intelligence level that that's going to be a problem later on at least with certain things at least they are intelligent in two different fields I mean she's got the the technology and he has the science so it may work out uh, I know that you know Babs does really go for the charismatic ones but I think she also looks for someone with life goals and ambitions and you know really that's not to say that Peter does not have life goals or ambitions but I think he does uh, seem to struggle in um, keeping a job, and we've really seen that in recent issues, um, or I guess of, of recent past issues in, in Amazing Spider-Man. So I think he really needs to get his act together before he has any chance for a relationship at all, um, in the very least, especially with Barbara. And you know, Barbara has been in some rough spots relationship-wise, so I really just don't think it would be healthy for them to date. I mean, need I mention uh, Nightwing Annual Number 2? If I don't, someone else will. And you know, the question is when? When would they even go out? Uh, Peter's normally swinging during the day, and then originally I would say Babs is just working at night, but really she works all the time. I swear, you know, she's always up day, night. Whenever someone needs Oracle, she's right there. So that's that's an issue. And first and foremost, you know, Peter is not Dick Grayson. And while Babs does have red hair, she's not Mary Jane. And so I do really believe that these two are the soulmates of their respective partners. And I think that's 
would be an issue. An issue. So if these two did get together, I think it would be a passionate storm of emotions and passion, certainly. But they would be together for the wrong reasons, and I just don't think that they are meant to be together. So I think that right there is my more eloquent uh, answer, the one that I struggled and probably did not get out on uh, the Crawl Space episode. But there you go. Okay, so now we are going to hop over to the watch desk. Um, I'm sorry, the Watchtower news desk. Kimberly, what kind of news do you have for us today? Well, Stella, the first bit of news is about Batman Arkham City multiplayer. Will we be able to play as Catwoman, Two-Face, Robin, Batgirl? And for that matter, is the image of Tim Drake and Cassandra Kane, as can be found on my blog, real? Will we see Barbara Gordon? While more questions are asked than answered, the game does look really good and everyone here at BTO is looking forward to the game. And speaking of video games, five years after announcing it, DC Universe Online will finally be released on major platforms on November 2nd, 2010. Next, Secret Origin, the story of DC Comics DVD, narrated by Ryan Reynolds, is coming out November 9th, 2010. The press release follows. Warner Brothers Pictures presents an enthralling examination of the created forces behind the world's greatest superheroes in Secret Origin, the story of DC Comics, an all-new documentary that takes viewers behind the scenes of the iconic company with unprecedented access to the Warner Brothers and DC Comics archives. Narrated by Ryan Reynolds, Secret Origin, the story of DC Comics will be distributed by Warren Home Video on November 9th, 2010 on DVD for $24.98 SRP. Behind the amazing tales of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman and a host of other well-known characters is the equally impressive story of the challenges, creative, creativity excuse me, and triumphs of the company that brought these characters to life. Secret Origin, the story of DC Comics, is both a celebration of the best writers and artists in comics and a thoughtful exploration of 75 years of DC Comics history. Secret Origin, the story of DC Comics, combines excerpts from comics, films, and television series with the insight of some of history's most influential comic book creators and editors, among them Neil Adams, Karen Berger, Mike Carlin, Dan Didio, Neil Gaiman, Jeff Johns, Jim Lee, Paul Levitz, Dwayne McDuffie, Grant Morrison, Dennis O'Neill, Paul Pope, Louis Simonson, Mark Wade, Len Wayne, and Marv Wolfman. Secret Origin, the story of DC Comics, is written and directed by Mark Ca- Matt Carter, excuse me, Jeffrey Blitz, served as executive producer. Producer is Gregory Novak and co-producer is Ivan Cohen. Secret Origin, the story of DC Comics, is produced by Sean Welch and Janik Eckholm. From the bands to the breakthroughs, from humble pulp beginnings to the literary rise of the graphic novel, the story of DC Comics holds a mirror to an ever-evolving enterprise and the society reflected in its comic book pages, said Diane Nelson, president, DC Entertainment. It's a true American story. Secret Origin, the story of DC Comics, is a riveting, exciting, surprising revelation of that fascinating history and the men and women who forged it. Once again, Secret Origin, the story of DC Comics, will be coming out November 9th, 2010. And also, let's not forget the shocking news that Ardian Seoff, 
steps in as the regular artist on the series of Birds of Prey, joining forces with regular writer Gail Simone. And Seahoff is stepping in just in time as the series continues to kick things into high gear with the new arc starting December titled The Death of Oracle. Oh my, is this another R.I.P. stint? We'll say goodbye to Bendis and hello to Seahoff. And now back to Stella who has some exciting news. Thank you, Kimberly. Now, I'm obviously not living uh, with my parents in, I guess, what I would consider my home anymore, as I am in the new city in Virginia um, teaching. And so I come home to visit, come home to my parents' house, that is, to visit, and lo and behold, on my bed is a package, I kid you not, people, I, if I'm lying, I'm dying, a package from Warner Premier, okay? So you can imagine what I'm thinking here. Okay, now I have to go to dinner with my parents, but I furiously text someone and I say, I got a package from Warner Premier. Now this person believes that you got a review, um, a review video of Batman Superman Apocalypse. So somehow I got on a list, I don't even know. Maybe just because I wrote them a letter. Wrote them a letter. So I was a little disappointed. Um, my dad had to sign for this, so I was like, oh my gosh, it's really important. I was really thinking it was Batgirl year one. But, you know, I was like, okay, well, that's nice of them that they thought of me to send me Batman Superman Apocalypse. So let me just open this up for you guys. So I removed from it, um, on the top was Batman Under the Red Hood, two-disc special edition, a DVD. And then behind it, Motion Comics Collection. I didn't even know this existed on DVD. Batgirl Year One and the Batman Adventures Mad Love. Okay, so right now, I'm just wondering, I'm wondering what else could be inside here. So then I pull out a letter. And now, normally I think in this situation you would expect maybe one paragraph, maybe two sentences, a signature, and it looks like a stamped signature, it's not even personalized. But I kid you not, this thing is personalized. This is a longish letter, at least half a page single space by the way and then actually signed by the EVP and general manager of Warner Premier so let me just read this out to you dear miss and my last name obviously I don't really uh, tell you what it is ever in these podcasts okay first let me start out by saying that I truly appreciate you sending me the correspondence regarding Batgirl year one your passion for the character and the DC universe for that matter has not fallen on deaf ears Few people take the time to write such a well-thought-out letter, and I want to acknowledge the time you took to do that. Secondly, I will take your plea and those of the folks who signed the online petition under consideration. For us here at Warner Premier, providing the DC fans with the content they want is of utmost importance, and we always try to listen to our fans. As I am sure you can imagine, the economics of bringing these feature-length films to the market is often challenging, especially when we don't want to compromise the quality of the picture or talent that we attach to each project. That said, we will take another look at a feature-length Batgirl Year One for future for a future release. By the way, did you know that we released Batgirl Year One motion comics in summer of 2009? Have you had a chance to see them? If not, I've included a DVD copy of them along with our latest DC Universe release, Batman Under the Red Hood. I hope you enjoy them. Thanks again for the letter. My best, Eva. Now, to be honest, that was 
one of the greatest things that has happened to me. Um, it, it, it really helped me out because all the crap I've been going through at school. And I think a lot of people would maybe be pessimistic and say, oh, of course, you know, they're not going to do that. But I think, number one, the fact that they wrote a letter, you know, speaks volumes. And I really appreciate um, the respect that they gave me in reading. I, I believe truly that they read. I mean, the online the position petition, excuse me, that they went online and saw the numbers, that they read my pages and the research I did. I don't know if I ever told you what I put in the letter. I I researched sales of DVDs and comics, and then I wrote, I believe, three reasons why I really thought Batgirl Year One would do well, and that, you know, it wasn't going to be like Wonder Woman. And so this letter, I truly believe that they heard what I had to say, what you guys had to say, and I am, I'm going to keep praying that uh, they turn it around and that they really do uh, think really hard about this and that it, c it comes to true. And it, I'm sorry, I'm it comes into fruition. I'm sorry, I'm a little flustered, but you know, just from from Batgirl, this this uh, recent issue that came out, you know, the squee moment that she has when Detective Nick says, I trust you, that kind of moment is what I had. And so, wow, no, and, and that the fact that they gave me Batman Under the Red Hood and this Batgirl Year One motion comics on DVD, the fact that they gave that to me, it, it so kind. So, I mean, thank you. I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but thank you so much. I really want to, I'm going to write a, a thank you letter to Eva uh, to thank her for both of that and just in general because I appreciate them and I think it's it's really exciting. And so I really want to thank all of you guys, you know, who signed that, signed the position, uh, petition, Dustin from the Batman Universe podcast who interviewed me and he was really supportive. All of my friends, you know, Kevin Cushing who was really supportive. All the other sites that really pushed for this. I'm sorry if I leave anyone. I know there are so many sites that I I, I uh, sent um, links to and, and they put up or some that just found it and, and friends from the crawl space that were also soliciting the, the petition. So... I think that this is a solid victory, and, you know, this is, we're partway there. You know, we'll know that we really did what we came to do. We really cleaned house when they um, say that, yes, we're doing back earlier one, and it, it comes out. So, well, <laughs> I'm just excited. I guess I just don't know what else to say, so I guess I'll just stop there. But I just wanted to let you know how exciting that is. So, definitely thank you to Eva for just taking the time to write to me. I think that in itself speaks volume and I really appreciate that I think that was very respectful instead of because I mean I was concerned I sent it out maybe late July or mid July something like that I remember that we had just heard that another Batman was going to be released the Batman year one so I was like oh this is the time to act so I'm glad I was not forgotten and that this came through so I just wanted to share that with you, but I will stop rambling and uh, get on with the rest of the show. But I hope you guys comment, um, you know, on this after you hear this, of course. And I hope also that um, you feel as happy about this as I do. So thank you so much. Okay, so now on to the reviews. Finally, I'm sure you guys are thinking. Okay, so first up in my vintage column is Detective Comics number 404, Midnight Doomboy. It was written in October 1970. Writer Frank Robbins, penciler Gil Kane, inker Frank 
Giacoya. Also contained in this issue is Ghost of the Killer Skies. Jason Bard is arrested after a film showing Jason Bard murdering X-rated film director Billy Warlock is discovered. Although the evidence, the film, and a hollow cane with the cyanide gas shows that Bard killed Warlock, Barbara Gordon somewhat believes that Bard is innocent of the crime and begins to launch her own investigation as Batgirl. Batgirl real, uh, reviews the film and sees that in the footage, Bard is putting weight on his bad leg. Realizing the footage has been doctored, she goes to Warlock's studio to find that the footage shows Veda as the woman who drugged and framed Bard for the murder. But before Batgirl can do anything, she is attacked by Veda herself. During the combat, Veda throws a capsule of knockout gas and Batgirl takes a short whiff and conks out. When Batgirl comes to, she finds herself bound to a chair and Veda preparing a plaster mix to pour on Batgirl. This story is then continued in the next issue, Detective Comics number 405, The Living Statue. This issue came out in November of 1970. The writer, once again, Frank Robbins, penciler Gil Kane, and inker Frank Giacoya. Also contained in this issue is the first of the assassins and the sleuth in the Iron Mask. So, continuing from last issue, as the evil Lady Macbeth, um, I mean Veda, slowly covers Batgirl in the plaster, Veda sets fire to the evidence that would clear Bard's name while boasting to Batgirl that she got away with murder, screaming this at a giant lit-up face of Warlock that was built in the studio. As the fire from the burning evidence spreads, Veda prepares to apply the last of the plaster that will cover Batgirl's head when another of Warlock's actresses, Infrared, uh -huh, charges in the room to stop Veda. While the two girls fight, Batgirl gets free and eventually has to save both uh, starlets from the flames. When the fire department shows up, Veda boasts how they'll never be able to prove that she murdered Billy Warlock. But then Infrared informs her that in the giant portrait of Billy's face was a camera that filmed her entire confession. In a very happy ending, Barbara Gordon gets to witness Bard being cleared of all charges and set free. Now two of my favorite uh, quotes which made me laugh out loud were later in my father's private screening room dot 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 and some strange chick approached me. Uh, yeah, I think probably I should have known at the very beginning how very sketchy this issue, or I guess these pairs, this pair of issues, uh, was going to be. There was certainly some interesting writing going on in this particular issue, and in general, this story was rather engaging and definitely full of estrogen. Midnight Doomboy started out in a way unlike any other issue I have read in Babs' vintage stock. A narrator opens our story, but suddenly readers realize that the narrator is actually Batgirl. In fact, Batgirl is basically breaking the, in the fourth wall of the entire story, talking directly to the audience. And let's talk about the title. What is this Midnight Doomboy business? I understand the living statue, but how does this one relate? Okay, so maybe Jason's stakeout was happening in the wee hours of the morning, but Doom Boy? Does anyone else get a flash of Beast Boy and the Doom Patrol? But back to the actual story. I cannot decide whether this was an issue that was positive for women or negative. You know, first we have Batgirl, who is ever president, present throughout the issue, not only on the page, but also in our ears as she talks to us. You know, that's really good. But we have several scenes where Babs is described or shown as weeping. What a feminine thing to do. 
She also gives up on Jason way too easily. One would think that she would know by now that Jason is a good guy and that something smells fishy, so that's bad. We have a female antagonist, the first we have seen thus far. That's awesome! But she is out for revenge because she was scorned by a man on several levels. Not to mention that Infrared, oh yes, who could forget the names, loves this Billy Warlock even though he is most obviously a womanizer. And she defends him even in death. I wonder if Infrared got the lead in the new movie the old-fashioned way. You know what I mean, the old-fashioned way. Okay, anyways. So, while women flooded the pages of my book, their problems fighting over man, and the the pitfalls of being a woman having to compete with other women also pervade my pages. Was this another example of Batgirl's costume cut-ups, or should I just not think so deeply about it all? But onto this Billy Warlock person. I do have to say that he seems like a mighty big creeper. Who would hide cameras all over the place? I feel like this would be a good Law and Order plot. Not to mention that this guy is basically a porno director, and Veda and Infrared are both porn stars. So let's refer to the ex-epic movie comment within the pages. Okay, so Billy Warlock's haunting image at the end of the issue definitely reminded me of the all powerful or all great and powerful Oz in Wizard of Oz. You know, if we add the camera in the eye, you definitely have the symbolic billboard in the Great Gatsby. Do you know which one I mean? It was supposed to represent God. I believe it was between Gatsby's town and Daisy's town. Maybe you guys have no idea what I'm going on about. Okay, never mind. But I did really enjoy the art layout. Uh, I thought it was really fun and thoughtful having the panels laid out as if it were a movie. Overall, I think that this was a strange, fascinating, and interesting story with a rather abrupt ending that certainly wraps everything up in a neat little bow. I would give this 6 out of 10 bats. Okay, after this short break, I will review Batgirl number 13 and Birds of Prey number 4. See you guys later. Trust in me, baby Give me time, give me time, mm, give me time. I heard somebody say, oh, 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 the older the grave, sweeter the wine, sweeter the wine. Oh, my love is like a sea, baby.
traffic Too much of your loving, baby You shouldn't mind paying a price, any price, any price. Love is supposed to be the special kind of thing. Make anybody want to sacrifice. My love is like a seed, baby. Just needs time to grow. It's going strong, don't they, baby? Welcome back. So now we will hop into our purple-colored bat time machine and go all the way from 1970 to 2010. First up, Batgirl number 13, Batgirl, Trust. Writer, Brian Q. Miller, Art Pere Perez, and colorist, Guy Major. Quote, is that all proxy? You want me to teach him French, too? After a Tuesday free from classes and filled with intense, forced gump-style ping-pong, Steph is called for duty in the daylight by Wendy, a.k.a. Proxy. Detective Nick is already at the scene, attempting, rather poorly I might add, to get the perp to give up. Nick follows Mr. Griswold up a fire escape and is surprised to find that Griswold is really Basil Carlo, a.k.a. Clayface. Batgirl comes to the rescue and saves Nick in a good old-fashioned spidey pose. With Proxy's help, Batgirl tracks Clayface to a bank, puts the bank in lockdown, and has major Spider-Man moments by being accused of robbing the bank. She then finds Clayface downstairs, attempting to get into a safety deposit box. A fight ensues. Moves upstairs. Nick rushes in to find two Batgirls dueling. Steph prompts Nick to shoot her to see that she will bleed, and he ends up shooting Clayface, as he later reasons only the real Batgirl would come up with a plan like that. After Clayface is frozen with a special battering, Nick proclaims that he trusts Batgirl, and Batgirl has her squee moment. Nick tells Batgirl that Carlo was looking for an old picture of his wife. Batgirl thinks that this was foolish, but Nick explains that it is understandable, and we finally get a little hint of who Nick really is as he walks off into the sunset. To begin from the very front of the issue, I really like the cover. Not only is Archerm's art fantastic, per usual, but the caption, oh, that's just gross, is totally something that Stephanie would say. This issue, while it definitely is a one-shot, really finds a great place, really, um, right after the Flood arc. It definitely lightens the dark tone of the final issue of The Flood, and really gives readers a hint of what is to come this year for Batgirl. The first scene is light and funny, and I really appreciate starting the issue off with a college scene. Thus, we're seeing Stephanie as Stephanie, not as Batgirl, if only for a moment. 
The moments between Steph and Wendy are working really well, and not because they get along so easily, but because they're still learning and getting used to one another. In a word, the relationship right now is really realistic. Miller's comments about learning about Nick and his past are coming true. This issue really starts to open the character up and in really subtle ways. As usual, Batgirl's voice is spot on. She's sarcastic and witty throughout the fight and the issue. She even continues to have those inner monologues about Nick. Boy, howdy, does she have a crush on him. Now, I mentioned this a little in the summary, but it really seems as though Batgirl is having some Spider-Man-related issues here. First, the pose from Amazing Spider-Man, I'm sorry, Amazing Fantasy number 15, when she catches Nick, and then just the distrust from the bank employees that she's helping them, and they just automatically assume that she's robbing them. Perhaps the greatest moment, for Steph especially, is the fact that Nick admits that he trusts Batgirl. I feel like this is huge for any member of the Bat family, but Steph really needs this to solidify her confidence and her place in the universe. Perhaps the only negative that I would point out, and how fleeting the thought is, is that this issue was staged in order to really break open the character of Nick. I mean, why else would Clayface be looking for a picture of his wife? But seriously, you know, I think about this, and then I think, you know what, it was a great issue, so it really doesn't matter. And while I miss Mr. Lee Garbett, the master, the art definitely is top-notch. I especially love the one panel where Steph is running across campus, and her shadow has subtle, bat-like ears. Very clever. So this is definitely a fantastic start to year two. Nine out of ten bats. Next up is Birds of Prey number four, End Run part four, Impact Fracture. Writer Gail Simone, pencilers Ed Benes and Adriana Mello, inkers Ed Benes and J.P. Mayer, colorist Ney Rufino. Quote, let the birds fly if that's how it's got to be. As the issue opens, we find ourselves 19 years in the past in China in the midst of a storm. A girl has just been born, and the father orders the midwife to drown it. Not very shocking in China. Luckily for the baby, it is apparent that God or the fates have other plans for the child because the midwife is struck down by lightning. Flash forward to Canary v. Canary on the roof. Dinah, finally piecing together the identity of White Canary, is able to get a good few hits in, but still falls short. When White Canary walks away, Dinah takes the opportunity of White Canary's hands being occupied in order to finally use her canary cry. The fight continues in an apartment room where we learn that Dinah faced the 12 brothers of White Canary, White Canary is also known as Silk Sister, and defeated all 12 of them. Silk Sister then killed all 12 brothers of Silk in order to end the shame of the family and her father. Silk Sister gets under Dinah's skin when she starts mentioning the names of Dinah's loved ones, who will soon be dead and buried. One angry Dinah and large fall later, Silk Sister is in handcuffs and tells Dinah that Lady Shiva was the one to frame Dinah, and that Silk Sister and Dinah can go kill her together. While all this is going on, Barbara is taken to the edge of a dam, with Savant ready to push her off. We learn that Savant has a problem understanding time and figuring out if something happened two months ago or two minutes. This, compounded by the fact that he feels betrayed by Babs for a past action, has driven him to threaten Babs. Babs still has faith in Savant, which shocks him, but Babs realizes that he did not bring her to the dam to kill her, rather to kill himself. As he steps off the edge, Babs catapults from her chair, an action, might I add, I can only imagine 
is very difficult, and saves him. Creote remains where he is, having promised to let Savant die, but in the end, he saves him. Finally, happening simultaneously to the above actions, is the rest of the birds with, his, uh, with Penguin. Penguin stabs Zinda and threatens to do more if the birds do anything before his associates arrive. After Hawk makes a passionate speech about not wanting to be brought back from death again, as it is not right, Dove leaps at Penguin and takes him down. Such a bold move for a pacifist. Okay, there were certainly a lot of things happening in this issue, and had Simone not handled it so well, I believe that it would have been way too crowded. Simone always does great transitions, but this issue blew my mind. She had to compose three different scenes and somehow connect them all. She constantly creates seamless transitions with a mere word or common idea. Well, I was a little disappointed that I was wrong as to who the White Canary was. Frankly, I think it would have been more intense had it been a person whom Dinah dealt with personally, not separated by degrees. The brothers-slash-sister-silk thing was a little strange, and I wonder if we ever encountered them in the first volume of Birds of Prey, or if we should just pretend that we know them. The fight scenes were great, with Dinah usually being overwhelmed and having to use other means to get the upper hand. Dinah was clearly outmatched, but she never gave up, and it was really about her perseverance in this issue. I especially like the ring composition that we encountered when we first see that Dinah was messing with Silk Sister's brain by insulting her mother, uh, her brothers, and then Silk Sister did the exact same thing with Di- uh, with threatening Dinah's friends and family uh, with death. The Barbara scenes with Savant were a little overdramatic. I really enjoyed Bad's voiceovers, reflecting on the past as both Bad Girl and Oracle. But Savant just acted like a drama queen, in my opinion. I didn't really know what was going on, or what the point was, really. The other moment that I did not care for was Hawk's premature eulogy. Is this supposed to make me like him? Yeah, because it didn't really work. Issue 4, and I'm still wondering why he's here. The art was great, as usual, uh, but I'm not really as big a fan of Adriana Mello as I am of Bendis. Frankly, I just don't like some of the aspects of Babs that she draws. The cover is fantastic, though. Uh, a great scene, a Matrix-like scene, really, uh, full of intensity. I would give this issue 7 out of 10 birds. Uh, there were definitely strong moments throughout, and the transitions were fantastic. But still, there were some uh, why-should-I-care panels. Okay, so now I would like to give my literary recommendation for the month of September. Uh, This month's recommendation is Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. A dystopian novel by Ray Bradbury uh, presenting a future American society in which the masses are hedonistic and critical thought through reading is outlawed. The central character, Guy Montag, is employed as a fireman, which at this point in time means a book burner. We follow Guy as he struggles to realize the problems of this society and that there needs to be a change. The number 451 actually refers to the temperature at which book paper combusts. Although sources contemporary with the novel's writing gave the temperature as 450 uh, centigrade or 842 Fahrenheit, but that is neither here nor there. That's, that's you know, picking hairs. The firemen burn the books for the quote-unquote good of humanity. Written in the early years of the Cold War, the novel is a critique of what Bradbury saw as issues in American society of this era. 
I really enjoyed uh, reading this outside of school, but I certainly wish I could have read it with others because I really uh, enjoy the ability to read and discuss something. I liked the novel. Uh, it was short for those that cannot read longer novels, so you may not like this one. And I think that it was it was well done and, and really a better futuristic novel than Slaughterhouse-Five. So if you did not like Slaughterhouse-Five, and I was sort of on the fence about it, I think you will like Fahrenheit 451. So I do recommend that. Are you totally confused at what happened the past half an hour and wondering why this crazy girl is talking about books on a comic book podcast? Well, uh, you should come over to my website, batgirltooracle.blogspot.com, or even join the Batgirl to Oracle message board at batgirltooracle.proboards.com. There are already 40 members. I welcome anyone new, and I hope if this is your first time listening that you enjoyed it and that you continue. Please send any questions or comments to batgirltooracle at gmail.com. Uh, normally, in the future and in the past I have done this, I will set also th- set up a thread Uh, to ask questions for the next episode. So I will do that definitely, like I said, when I get back into a rhythm. Rhythm, excuse me. Please also, I mean, you've seen what impact we've had already. Continue to sign the petition to get Batgirl Year One back into production. We, we've we already made a great impact. Uh, thank you for that. I have not done this on my own, certainly. 647 signatures. You know, I remember when I was the first one who signed it. No, I actually was not the first one to sign it. But I remember when there were just 10 signatures, and I was excited for that. So it's still at the same place. You can still find it linked on my signature at uh, spidermancrawlspace.com. And there is also a button which you can push. That It's a little banner that says Batgirl Your One Petition on my website. But if you just like typing in long addresses, go to www.gopetition.com slash petition slash batgirl dash year dash one dot html. I would also recommend that you check out my brother podcast, The Jeff Johns Cast, which is hosted by my friend and and sometimes guest, Kevin Cushing. His website is jeffjohnscast.libsyn.com. That's jeffjohnscast.libsyn.com. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And until next we meet, fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?